The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool here on the Blaze Radio Network, episode 127 of 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards with you. Uh, Missy is once again off this week. Uh, So I'll tell you what happened. (laughs) Funny story. Well, I don't know if it's a funny story or not, but I'll tell you why Missy's not here. So uh, as I'm recording this, it's Thursday night. It uh, has quickly gone from fall to uh, near winter here in uh, the Farmville, Virginia area. We're looking at lows this weekend of 23 and 28 degrees. So uh, we're going to get our first hard freeze of the year. Now, we've managed to do most of the stuff that we need to get ready for winter. Uh, Number one priority, make sure that there's propane in the propane tank so that the house has heat. Mission accomplished. We've taken care of that. Uh, Make sure that uh, the goats are all good. They're all good. Chicken's all good. I cleaned out the coop uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, They're happy. We're going to get ready for the deep litter method, so I won't have to clean out the chicken coop until the spring, and then I'm really not going to want to clean out the chicken coop, uh, because what we will be doing is we'll just be continuing to add straw uh, into the chicken coop throughout the winter, providing more warmth and uh, more heat, and maybe, maybe one day we'll actually start to get eggs again from our chickens because it has been weeks. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the biggest priority has been our pigs. So right now we have six hogs. We don't need six hogs. We don't really want six hogs. And we have probably about mm, a third of a hog Uh, in our freezer right now. So we really need to take some of those hogs that we have alive and move them into the freezer. Um, I suppose we could just wait until a a hard freeze, and who knows, maybe we'd have a pork sickles the next morning, but we're not going to do that. Uh, The plan is Thanksgiving weekend, we are going to butcher uh, two of our smaller hogs, uh, the two boys, the troublemakers and the baby makers. Uh, and we're also going to process some of our chickens, the uh, sex links, the red sex links that we got uh, earlier this year that have done very, very little for us. I think they're at the natural end of their egg laying cycles. We bought them as adults from a uh, dude up in Albemarle County. I uh, got maybe about a month's worth of eggs out of them. And then I don't know if they were the cause of all of our chickens uh, deciding to stop laying, but we have been basically egg free for four months now. So um, good news is we're going to have chicken soup and chicken stew and uh, all kinds of yummy chicken uh, dishes coming up over the next couple of months. But we're going to be down several chickens. We're going to keep our rooster. We're going to keep the original hens that we had uh, before the uh, the red sex links uh, came into our lives. And we will dispatch the red sex links along with two of the uh, younger hawks. But in the meantime... We got to keep these hogs alive because uh, smog is pregnant, right? Uh, and cottontail is pregnant. Uh, I think griddle cakes is okay right now. And then the uh, little girl, uh, I haven't named her yet. I don't think she's pregnant, but we have two pregnant pigs. <sighs> and we're getting closer to the due date, which I have a feeling is going to be like late January, 
early February, not the best time for baby pigs to be born. So instead of uh, getting ready to process these huge mounds of pork, uh, we have to take care of them over the next few months. And they've been out. Uh, you know, we pasture raise our hogs during the summer. They have uh, trees that they lay under. We, uh, we don't really have a, a big shelter for them. Uh, and the winter is creeping up on us a little bit faster than we thought that it would. So uh, plan A is before it freezes this weekend, we are building a hog shelter. Uh, we are building this hog shelter out of pallets. Uh, wooden pallets. There's a office supply store here in Farmville, Virginia, a couple of doors down from our studios at Cam and Company. And I uh, walked over there today and asked about the uh, pallets out back, and they said, take as many of them as you want. So we have about uh, eight pallets that we will use to construct the walls, uh, three walls of the uh, pig shelter. We have a tin roof uh, from our last pig shelter that will go on top of said pig shelter, and uh, we'll uh, build this uh, pig shelter facing south, uh, kind of south-southeast, so that uh, it gets the most amount of sun during the day and the uh, least amount of rain and snow when the inclement weather strikes. We will fill that hog shelter uh, almost to the brim with straw. We will just pile it in there, and the pigs will tamp it down, but they bury themselves and snuggle into the straw, and they'll uh, cuddle up next to one another, and they'll be good to go on those cold winter nights. So that is our number one project on the farm. We will be accomplishing that before sundown on Friday, uh, and uh, hopefully our pigs will have a uh, warm, wonderful winter. So Miss E is going to be heading out of town this weekend. I will be doing uh, kid and dog and goat and pig and chicken duty. And then uh, uh, coming up, she's got... A woodworking class. She's doing another woodworking class. She had so much fun making the shaker-style table that she's going back. She's doing a hope chest this time around. So uh, the next weekend that we will have free to uh, to butcher the hogs is going to be, again, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and until then, we're going to try to uh, hunker down. The peppers are, are gone. No more peppers for the season. But we got a lot of uh, peppers that are still percolating. The uh, tomatoes are done. Uh, really, like I said, we, we've we've wrapped up the growing season. We're starting to kind of hunker down. Uh, we'll we'll enjoy a few weeks off, and then we'll start planning the uh, 2018 garden, which will be nice. So, uh, in the meantime, um, uh, just uh, say your prayers and cross your fingers that we're able to uh, provide some good, warm shelter for the bacon seeds. All right, stick around. There is more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up right after this. We'll be right back. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Gray. Personal responsibility is a thing of the past, isn't it? A lot like common sense. Common sense is dead. Personal responsibility is dead. There's no responsibility on the part of the actual shooter. It's all on the gun that he used. It's it's like blaming a fork for people to getting fat. It doesn't work. You can't blame the fork, okay? It's the guy operating the fork, putting massive servings of food in his face that got him to that fatness. Look at Jeffy. Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. 
40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards continues on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Thanks again for tuning in to 40 Acres and a Fool here on the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with you. Uh, So we had elections in Virginia a few days ago. Did not go well for Republicans. Did not go well for conservatives. Did not go well for gun owners in the uh, state of Virginia. And there, I know, has already been uh, a lot said, a lot of uh, very smart people uh, saying very smart things and some uh, very smart people saying some not so very smart things about uh, uh, what this election means, uh, what we can take from this uh, into 2018. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, so, so here's what I think happened uh, in the Virginia elections. One, undeniably, the anti-Trump vote was a factor. Uh, it was not Ed Gillespie uh, running as the Republican uh, for governor for about a third of the electorate. It was uh, Donald Trump running for president all over again, and they wanted to say no all over again, even louder this time. And that actually did drive up turnout. Uh, turnout was up about 16% uh, statewide over 2013. A lot of that coming from Northern Virginia, a lot of that coming from Charlottesville. Charlottesville, I think, was up uh, 31% over 2013. Uh, the left, Democrats, they saw this as, a, 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 as important as a presidential election year. And sadly, I think uh, there were a lot of conservatives and a lot of Republicans uh, who saw this as a governor's race. And uh, their turnout levels were closer to what you would expect uh, for an off-year election in the state of Virginia. Um, The Democrat turnout was closer to what you would expect in a presidential uh, election year. So... The enthusiasm gap was real. Um, As far as gun owners go and the gun vote, so I know that the Washington Post has sort of changed their exit polls, which is weird, uh, because the first exit polling that I saw from the Washington Post had indicated that uh, uh, when it came to uh, the importance of gun policy among the electorate, about one in seven had said that that was their primary issue. And of the one in seven who said, this is my big issue, uh, originally the exit polling that the Washington Post reported had it uh, 52% of those voters voted for Ed Gillespie, 48% of those voted for Ralph Northam. Uh, now they had it, maybe it was 51-49, and actually it was 51-49, I think, and there was uh, like, like two percentage points um, or a couple of percentage points uh, for uh, Cliff Hyer, the Libertarian candidate. Now they have it at 49-49 for uh, Ed Gillespie and Ralph Northam, splitting that uh, that gun policy vote uh, with two points going towards the Libertarian candidate, uh, Cliff Hyer. Uh, so they show, the exit polling does, that, uh, that the enthusiasm gap uh, when it comes to the gun vote was narrowed. Um, the turnout for gun owners uh, seemed to be, again to be about where uh, you would expect it to be. Again, according to that same exit poll, fifty-two percent of Virginia voters uh, live in a gun-owning household, but thirty-six percent of those voters cast their vote for the most anti-gun 
candidate who's run for governor in Virginia's history. Over a third of voters living in a household where there's a firearm voted for Ralph Northam. Um, That, to me, there's a couple of things going on. Uh, Complacency, uh, not necessarily apathy, but again, I think complacency among a lot of gun owners that, uh, yeah, look, we got it really good here. There was also, I think, that idea that the House of Delegates would be a a bulwark against uh, any gun control bills. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the case in the state of Virginia. Um, And I think, again, engagement uh, among gun owners and the uh, gun owners talking to uh, each other um, about the importance of this race. I I just don't know if that happened uh, the way that it should have. So, uh, you know, look, no majority in politics is permanent. Uh, not even in California and New Jersey. You know, uh, a, a few years ago, if you had said that uh, you'd see a Republican elected governor in Maryland, people would have laughed at you until Larry Hogan did it. So, uh, you know, sooner or later, at some point, the Republican majority uh, in the legislature in Virginia was going to go away because politics is cyclical. Um, but I got to tell you, I... <laughs> And I don't know if this is a structural disadvantage for the right. I'd love to to know your thoughts on this. But is it possible, or are you working at a disadvantage, when a big part of your base is the the, the quote-unquote leave-me-alone coalition, the people who don't want politics to be injected into every facet of their life? They don't want... They're looking for an escape from politics. Now, if that's part of your base, people who are sick and tired of politics, it seems to me like you might be working at a disadvantage because you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get those folks to the polls uh, because while uh, philosophically they might be uh, in agreement with you, they're also kind of done with politics. I, I think that actually is a big issue in Virginia and around the country. I'm not quite sure what to do to solve it. But uh, I would love to know your thoughts. The uh, email address is always 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. And I know we don't normally get political uh, here on 40 Acres in a Fool, but uh, you know this is the state that I live in. Uh, this was a very, I think, unexpected result, not necessarily uh, Ralph Northam winning the, uh, uh, the race for governor. This is a state that went for Hillary Clinton by about five points last year in the presidential election. Uh, but I don't think anybody saw the, uh, the the way the state legislative races ended up uh, with Republicans losing perhaps as many as 17 uh, or uh, 16 seats in the state House of Delegates. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. So what do you think? Uh, are we in danger of uh, voter apathy, I suppose, if you're not a conservative. Are you uh, excited? Uh, And do you see apathy among your ideological opponents? Love to get your thoughts on this. All right, we're going to step away for just a moment or two, uh, but there is more 40 acres still to come. I will be right back right after this. You'll be right back, too. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. So there was an interesting article at Popular Science of all places, uh, popsci.com. What would happen if we all quit eating beef? Uh, there is a, a hashtag that uh, a hashtag campaign that just concluded uh, in uh, October uh, called No Red October. That was the uh, hashtag, hashtag No Red October. Um, this does not refer to uh, the uh, Russian Revolution. I would be uh, all in favor of a No Red October hashtag if uh, it was an anti-communism meme, but uh, no. Um, the idea, uh, according to those who have taken part in uh, uh, the No Red October campaign, is to not eat meat during October. No red meat. As uh, Popular Science reports, the reason not masochism but environmentalism, livestock, they say, accounts for 12% of global climate change emissions and beef, which require 28 times more land and 11 times more water to produce chicken or pork, well, eliminating five times more climate-changing emissions seems like a natural place to cut back, especially, they say, since Americans annually eat 54 pounds of beef or a little more than a pound a week. Popular science says, okay, so let's say we went a little more drastic and we all gave up eating beef overnight. What would that actually do to the ecology of the land and to the rural communities built around agriculture? Would the resulting change really be a good thing? You know, again, to listen to some people, yes. Uh, Because, look, if there are thousands, if there are tens of thousands of lives who are human lives that are disrupted, uh, jobs are lost, family farms disappear, uh, that's okay. Because for some people, uh, the the, the drawbacks of giving up meat would be uh, more than met. Uh, by the reward that these uh, uh, cows would now enjoy um, because they wouldn't be uh, served up on a dinner plate. Yeah, I know. You might see the error in that logic, too. I know. Uh, Popular science says Nicolette Hahn Neiman doesn't have a problem with people giving up beef for a month. She says that probably isn't going to make much of an impact on farm economies. But she says, quote, what troubles me is the repetition sort of ad nauseum that cattle are inherently problematic for the environment and that the best thing we can do is give up beef. Now, Popular Science says for years she was an environmental attorney working with the environmental nonprofit Waterkeeper Alliance. And so as part of that role, she looked at the environmental impact of livestock, including beef and uh, that, they, uh, that the uh, livestock had on water systems. Popular Science says she looked at the scientific research, traveled all over the country visiting farms, flew over farm operations, essentially went down the cattle rabbit hole for two years. Her work eventually culminated in the book Defending Beef. Aha. Uh-huh. And Han Neiman, who is a vegetarian, became a rancher after she married Bill uh, Neiman, the founder of Neiman Ranch, which is now owned by uh, Purdue. The, the chicken people. She said, the more time that I spent with it, the more time I spent on farms, the more I became convinced that the real question is how livestock are produced, not whether 
they are produced. And she says, telling people to simply stop eating beef is an oversimplification of the uh, problem. She says, take, for example, the statistic that it takes 11 times more water to raise cattle than to raise pork or chicken. So popular science says, yeah, 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 that's the top line, right? That's the bumper sticker slogan. That's the sound bite. But what's really true uh, is what kind of water, what you have to take into consideration is what kind of water is being used. Are we talking about irrigated water? Are we talking about uh, groundwater? Are we talking about rainwater uh, that's collected? What part of the country are you talking about? They say New York State has an abundant amount of naturally occurring grassland, which is great for grazing and making hay. In 2012, the USDA created a report titled Green Grass, Green Jobs, which called for increasing livestock production in New York. Might not uh, be the case for every state or every part of the uh, state of New York. Uh, But again, it's taking this raw data point or this abstract data point and trying to put it into context of the real world. Uh, Popular science uh, says that... um, Uh, The problem comes from distilling the solution down to a single consumer action instead of recognizing and fixing the broader system, which means repairing the relationship between purchasers and producers, adjusting feeding operations to be more humane, and literally getting down into the dirt. Uh, Nicole Hanneman says, I'm increasingly convinced the cornerstone of building or rebuilding a sustainable food system is really about soil health, and specifically the biology of the soil and everything that goes up from there, that, which, by the way, is uh, something that uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joel Salatin of uh, Polyface Farms here in Virginia uh, has been talking about for years as well. Uh, you know, his family farm, dad bought the family farm, I think it was back in the 60s, and it was a mess, he said. Uh, all kinds of erosion of the topsoil, all kinds of gullies, uh, and it year after year, season after season, Uh, They mended and repaired the land. And uh, now Joel Salatin is able to get production out of that land that he wasn't supposed to be able to get because the soil was supposed to be tired. The uh, land was, uh, again, supposed to be eroded. Uh, It was not supposed to be as productive, nearly as productive as it is. And the idea, you know, the other thing that this popular science article doesn't get into, uh, because I guess they they weren't really, maybe, maybe it was just a different angle. But I, I still think that a lot of those folks who say, well, just stop eating meat. You should just not eat a cow. Those cows deserve better than that. Somehow think that if we stop eating meat, we'll still have a bunch of cows. And I don't think that's the case. And I feel bad because I don't think these people understand that, you know, if there's no reason... To have cows, we really won't. You're not going to have cow tourism become a thing where people can go out to the country and take pictures of cows just just grazing peacefully and then the farmer makes his money that way. No. If we ever got to a point where eating meat was outlawed or it had to be smart meat, lab-grown meat, not made from real cow, but uh, grown 100% in an American lab. If that day ever comes, you're going to see a wholesale slaughter of cows. 
and the cows won't come back because right now they're a renewable resource for farmers. When they become a burden, guess what happens? They go bye-bye. All right, we're going to go bye-bye soon, but we have one more segment to get to. And that means uh, hearing from you, 40acrefool at gmail.com again is the email address, and we'll get to a couple of uh, emails right after this, so stick around. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. We've lost the willingness to take risk, that confidence, that self-esteem that says, you know, I can move anywhere, I can do anything, I can go anywhere, and I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be better than okay. I'll do great. And I'm going to make my life the best life that it can be. If that means moving a thousand miles, it means moving a thousand miles. And if that means switching jobs, it means switching jobs. And if that means taking some time off to retrain myself, it means taking some time off to retrain myself. There are no limits. The Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks again for being a part of the program here on 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards with you for one more segment. We've got a a couple of emails to get to, uh, including one from Rob in Southern California, who uh, has a new, uh, well, kind of new, new slash old home Rob says, I've moved back into my parents' house. Haven't lived here in 44 years. Only way I can remain sane is to pretend it's a New York City apartment. He says, I've given away so many possessions because there's just no room, but they do need my help. Um, He says, so I've been busy converting a hell space into a livable environment. Ever seen the TV series Hoarders? Kingman, Arizona, he says, is looking more and more attractive, but I feel that I can't abandon them. My best to Ms. Eve, says Rob, and uh, P.S., does she sell her hot sauce? So, uh, no, Rob, Ms. E does not sell her hot sauce. I think we'd be operating in a, a gray to black market area if we did that. So, we don't sell it, but we do give some away, especially to uh, those who might be in need of a little pick-me-up. And uh, kind of sounds like you are, Rob. So, uh, we're going to send you some hot sauce. And uh, maybe another uh, goodie or two, although it sounds like you might not have a lot of room for spare goodies, so I'll make it a small one. And I just want to say, Rob, I I know that's got to be tough. You know, my mom passed away about five years ago. Actually, it, 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 I say it's been five years. It's actually been a little bit longer, but it, it feels like it hasn't been that long. Uh, my dad is still around. In fact, he had just celebrated recently his 91st birthday, but he's having health problems, and um, he's 91. You know, he's 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 getting up there, and thankfully, uh, my dad has been married to uh, his wife, my wonderful stepmother, for uh, gosh, close to 30 years now, and um, she is able to uh, provide a level of care. And hopefully, uh, I mean, up to this point, uh, dad hasn't needed to be in a facility and he hasn't needed to have any of his uh, uh, kids move back home to help care for him. But, you know, this is something that I think more and more of us, uh, Rob, not only are considering, but are actually living with and, and going through. And 
I know that it's got to be hard. So I just want to let you know, if you ever need a vent, uh, just fire up the laptop and uh, shoot an email. Just let me, uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep these correspondence uh, private unless you say you uh, want it to be shared on the air. But in the meantime, buddy, know that you've got a lot of folks who are thinking of you and uh, keeping you in uh, their thoughts and prayers and keeping your parents there too, buddy. Brian in uh, California writing in as well, and he said, Hey, Cam, you know, recently on NRA News, uh, you and uh, Jazz Shaw from Hot Air were discussing the movement to have California become its own nation. He says, Now, I know it sounds stupid, but follow me on a flight of fancy. Listen, stupid is no roadblock uh, these days, Brian. We got a lot of stupid stuff that seems to be going on and uh, making progress, so stupidity is no barrier. Uh, all right, so here's, the, here's Brian's flight of fancy. One, he says, California and maybe New York become their own nation. Two, in the next election or two, without California's 55 electoral votes, the liberals lose everything. Three, within a few years, the fledgling nation will certainly fall into anarchy, crime, and absolute despair. Four, the United States invades, installs a democratic government. And five, California is free again. Um, well, you know, I, it sounds like a good Michael Bay movie, maybe. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, besides the whole, you know, anarchy, crime, absolute disrepair, uh, that sounds great. Sounds just fantastic. Now, I, listen, <laughs> Brian, you're, you're tapping into a, a deep vein of cynicism for me right now. Because this is part of the problem. We, I think, as an electorate, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers, I'll, I'll include myself in this. I just think, generally speaking, we as an electorate, we as voters, we as Americans, are starting, and, and maybe it's not fair to say starting, maybe we've, we've done this, but it does just seem like we're doing it more now than we have in recent history. We don't care about the logic we don't care about uh, rational thought and critical thinking. We don't. We don't. Th- th- those things bum us out. They impede us from enacting our vision. And what's important is enacting our vision, not you naysayers saying nay all the time about why things can't work. If things don't work, it's because you don't care enough. You don't want it enough, and that makes you a bad person. Not because something would be impractical, not because, hey, you know what, as it turns out, you really can't easily divorce a country, right? I mean, like, you just, eh, it's not the easiest thing to do. There are bad feelings, hurt feelings, custody issues, things like that, alimony payments, all kinds of problems uh, can lead to bloodshed, has in the past here in the United States led to quite a bit, like half a million and more dead and wounded Americans. Yeah, like that kind of thing. We've kind of forgotten about that. You know, because we want what we want. And uh, I think increasingly we want what we want. And a lot of Americans want to punish, to punish their fellow Americans. You know, one of the most disheartening things, and I'll, I'll, (laughs) why not? I'll close the show on a disheartening note this week. One of the most disheartening things about the recent elections in Virginia uh, was that there was a state senator uh, Barbara Favola, I believe it was, who a few days before the election 
was in deep blue northern Virginia. It was in Arlington, Virginia, right across the river from Washington, D.C. She was addressing a group of Arlington Democrats, and she said, Republicans are evil. We're the good guys. Now, she didn't apologize. Uh, Ralph Northam, uh, who was elected governor and who, on election night, talked about healing the divide uh, in this state of ours, didn't chide her, didn't say anything about that being inappropriate to call, uh, well, 45% of this year's electorate evil. That, to me, was really disheartening. Because even if you think Republicans are wrong about everything, they don't have to be evil, right? Even if you think Democrats are wrong about everything, they don't have to be evil. Now, look, I do believe that evil exists in this world. I just don't know that you can uh, claim that uh, every American—I don't know how on earth you could proclaim that every American who votes for one political party— or another is evil, and that the uh, or in the aggregate, uh, one political party is evil, uh, and the other are the good guys. Particularly when public opinion polls right now show that uh, trust in uh, both major political parties is in the toilet. So I was I was I was disheartened that uh, there wasn't any pushback uh, to Senator Favola's comments. And, you know, again, we kind of started out talking about, uh, well, we didn't start out talking about this, but we uh, talked about looking ahead to 2018. I, I, I just expect that you can, I suspect you can expect to see a lot more of that type of thing in uh, races where you live. And I, I, I imagine you'll see it on both sides. Um, I don't know how effective it'll be about uh, turning out the vote. But I imagine it will be pretty darn effective at uh, keeping us at each other's throats. So, on that cheery note, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. And uh, I promise you, we will talk to you on a uh, more optimistic and uh, happier 40 Acres and a Fool coming up very soon. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 